Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Happy Father's Day, Tim. Happy Father's Day to every other father in this place. How many of you guys are fathers? Happy Father's Day. Do you like being dads? It's pretty fun. I like being a, a dad for sure. And also, my dad is here. Dad, happy Father's Day. Love you. Happy Father's Day to all you guys. Really love that. Uh, excited to preach today. Uh, I actually like preaching on any of these kind of celebration days, whether we're celebrating moms or we're celebrating something else. I like to draw on a kind of associated characteristic for like moms or for dads and try and identify what that actually looks like in, in Jesus. So any version that we aspire to kind of express characteristics, qualities, and such, the best and the purest version of the thing is found in God. And we trust that about God, that his character and his nature is above ours, uh, and it is holy, it is good, it is pure. And so what I wanted to talk about today was uh, a concept that's uh, usually quite associated with men or fathers, which would be this characteristic of toughness. Uh, and so I wanted to preach on that today, um, but it's really actually not going to be by uh, the term about toughness, because you're not really going to find that term in the Bible with God. Uh, but what you will find is the term long-suffering. So I want to talk about long-suffering today. Uh, it's a really exciting topic. I promise it's an exciting topic. Uh, even though long-suffering doesn't sound uh, on the face value like it's exciting, uh, there's a lot of really powerful things uh, to consider and understand uh, about this fruit of the Spirit, which is actually our first biblical starting point, which would be Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Uh, and in different translations will either say patience or long-suffering there. Uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And this term here, patience, when you look at the root word on it, it's defined as patience, forbearance, long-suffering, slowness in avenging wrongs. So this long-suffering is an attribute of God, and when we want to understand how to get a fruit of the Spirit in our life, like when you read the list of the fruits of the Spirit, how many of you identify ones that you're pretty good at, that you do well, and then ones that you're like, that isn't even in my roster. <laughs> it's never been in my roster, so that's interesting. But yet it's still a part of God, and it's still something in relationship with God, even if you're not naturally good at it, that will come from living in God through process, through freedom, through growth. And so we see that when it's a fruit of the Spirit, it comes from God. And so in John 15, just a reminder of how we produce the fruits of the Spirit, we don't produce them by realizing we need to produce them. So you might know you need patience or you might know you need love, but just the knowledge of knowing that you need it doesn't give you the ability to produce love or to produce joy. So it's just not the knowledge of a thing that gives you the ability to do it. It's something more than that. And so in John 15, we actually see where these fruits of the Spirit are produced from. And it says, abide in me and I in you. Now, this is Jesus talking. So Jesus is like, okay, live in me and I live in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So a picture is created. Jesus is the vine. You are the branch that comes from that vine. The branch will produce fruit if it's connected to the vine. So the fruits of the Spirit are something that are naturally created by that place of connection with God. So if you lack fruits of the Spirit, look to your frayed connections with God to understand what's happening there. Because it's natural that when a branch is connected to the vine, it will produce fruit. So if you're missing fruit, look to repair your connection with God. Look to repair your connection with God first. A Christian mistake often made is we look to produce the fruit before we repair the connection with God. But first, repair the connection with God. Where did it fall apart? Where did it get frayed? Where did you lose heart? Where did you disconnect? Where did you lose courage? Where did you lose patience? Look to your points of connection with God. Was it when you were 10? Was it last month? Was it six months ago? Was it three years ago when someone died or got sick or when you lost something in your life or experienced pain or trials or just disappointment? Look to where you lost your connection with God to understand how to recover fruitfulness in Jesus. So if long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit, it comes from connection with God. We will, when we are in relationship and connection with God, produce the fruit of long-suffering. This is a really interesting concept, and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, long-suffering or toughness and just having this endurance stuff, it's, it's always had a mixed bag, right, for me. The imp- interpretations or the, the framework as a man that I was given in my life Some of it good, some of it not good, some of it coaches gave you, some of it other people gave you, leaders and such. And sometimes we inherited a model of what it meant to be a man that wasn't exactly godly. And so when we inherit these models of manhood or fathering, some of them are like God and some of them aren't. And so in relationship with God, we get to go, okay, what is my perspective of what it means to be a strong, enduring, tough man? And does this actually express godliness or are there's some bits of poison and some weeds in there that I've got to sort through. The beautiful thing about long-suffering, in relationship with God, it's got purpose to it. God is enduring or is patient with us for a reason. He's not just patient for patience' sake. There's a reason that he, he cultivates long-suffering. There's a reason that he cultivates patience toward us. And it actually says in Scripture what that is in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. It says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. So towards us, God's long suffering towards us or his patience towards us is for the goal of our recovery of our repentance. So there is a purpose to long-suffering in relationship with people or being able to endure offenses continuously. And what is that purpose? It's, well, we may be given the opportunity with someone who's broken or very offensive. We may be able to express a nature of God, long-suffering, patiently enduring with them, keeping clean in our heart and forgiveness, 
And in doing so, we may be the very person to reveal to them Jesus. Because Jesus has been long-suffering with us. He's been patient with us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there was this long-suffering attribute that God carries and he cultivates in us for a purpose. There's a hopefulness that as we long-suffer, something may come from it for ourselves or for other people. There's an outcome from long-suffering besides just survival. Long-suffering, endurance, these things are not just built for us to survive. There's something, there's a greater purpose in there besides just, uh, I made it to the end, just barely. There's a bunch of dead bodies back there, but I made it to the end, you know. It's more than just I made it, right? It's that I made it through while maintaining joy in trials. And that even in the midst of the suffering, I'm able to have the love of Christ in me as well. I'm able to have the joy and the peace in me as well. So I'm not just muddying through, kind of cussing to myself as I'm suffering through the trials, mad, angry, and bitter. No, it's that I'm enduring, I'm making it through, and I'm suffering long, but all at the same time, I've got joy in me. I've got ability to be able to sense love and give love. And even the very expression of long-suffering stems from the foundation of love. The Bible says God is love. So that if long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit of God, it comes from the foundation of love. There's this quote that I read about this that I really like. Dwight L. Moody said, Joy is love exalted. Peace is love in response. Long-suffering is love enduring. Gentleness is love in society. Goodness is love in action. Faith is love on the battlefield. Meekness is love in tough situations. And temperance is love in training. Long-suffering is love enduring. This attribute of long-suffering has purpose to it. It has godliness connected to it. It's not just about survival and getting through to the other end. It's about the redemption of people around you, being able to possibly see the nature of God in patience that you had towards them, in their brokenness, in their weakness, in their suffering, in their inability to behave well. You know, this is why when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody, man? Let's be rational about this. There's got to be limits, right? What does this look like? And Jesus says this math problem, 70 times 7. So for those of you who don't like math, I'm really sorry. Jesus had it in the Bible. But Jesus says this, and it's not for the point of what's actually how much is 70 times 7, but it's illustrating the point that you just keep doing it. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. And I I always want to remind you guys, forgiveness and trust are different. So you have to separate these two things out. So when you hear me preaching or teaching about Uh, about forgiveness and just forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and never stop forgiving. Uh, This is not also saying recover the place of trust you had with the person before they showed themselves untrustworthy. So forgiveness is non-negotiable between us and God and us and others. It's just non-negotiable. It is a tenet that we must express over and over and over again without end. As long as the offenses come, the forgiveness must remain, must be a process and a work. And it may take you a second to get to a place of clean heart. It may take you to get a second to get a place of complete heart healing. Uh, but nonetheless, it's that you remain in this place of strong belief or conviction 
that you do not waver on the premise of forgiveness, period. It may take a long time. For some of the offenses you've experienced by others and the volume, it may take a long time for you to get to that place of healing or that place of fully realizing the state of forgiveness, but you don't negotiate on it, you don't compromise on it, that you do it every single day, you engage in it because the Bible's so clear that if you want God's forgiveness, you must forgive. So we understand this, right? We understand that there's this aspect of God where he, where he illustrates to us that an expression of love is to suffer long. It's to endure offenses, a lot of offenses. And here's the really interesting thing, is if we as Christians and as brothers and sisters in Christ don't uh, develop the mindset and the maturity to endure offense from others, we're going to have a really hard time healing some folks. We're going to have a really hard time freeing some folks. Because when people are wounded, as you, I'm sure, have experienced, they're pretty good at wounding other people. You know the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? It's pretty much just a rule of thumb and almost a logical assertion at this point that when somebody's wounded, they start to behave in a certain way. And sometimes it's very, very volatile. Sometimes it's like a wounded animal trapped in a corner. Which reminds me, we, we uh, got a French bulldog uh, like a week ago. Uh, and then we, we didn't have it anymore. And we gave it back to the people who gave it to us. Because when we got this French bulldog, such a sweet little guy, right? He's two years old, and oh, wow, what a good dog, a handsome dog. I love this dog. Why? Oh, well, good dog, right? Uh, so we bring him to the house to meet our French mastiff, right? So we're like, this will be great. They're both French. We're, we're good, you know what I mean? Like French, French. Here we go. Let's do it. And so we bring him in the room, and, you know, my dog's a female, the French mastiff, and the little French bulldog's a powerful little tiny male. And so Jess puts on the camera, right? Little French bulldog, uh, Max is his name, is about to meet Honey Lulu, right? She's our little sweetheart, not a mean bone in her body dog. And so we bring him into the door, and she's got the thing on. It's going to be magic, cinematic magic. It's going to be on her Facebook. You're going to see it, and everyone's going to be like, what a wonderful life. And instead of French bulldog, French mastiff magic, we got the French bulldog attacking the French mastiff. And the video cuts off like almost like a horror movie right before the violence starts, you know? It's like, Because when, when, you, when you've got, like, and animals are really great at illustrating this. When you've got a certain amount of, like, uh, experiences, this dog grew up with nine other dogs. That's insane, man. That's a good way to make any dog hate all of the other dogs, you know? And so when dog, animals have this way, and it illustrates it really well for humans, like when you've got some painful experiences, sometimes your best, most logical thing you've learned is violence. Attack before they attack you, hurt them before they hurt you, get it done, let's go. And uh, so here's the interesting thing about that person, like sometimes the only way to actually get that person to experience Jesus is to endure some of their offenses. To be patient to be prayerful. I'm not saying be a rollover. I'm not saying being spineless. I'm not saying being able to stand up for yourself. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying there's an attribute of God that with us exercise patience in our sinfulness, exercise patience in our brokenness, and continue to pursue us. Even though we are still sinners, continue to give to us. So this element of God cannot be just expressed, understood in isolation, right? 
So you can't just be like, well, God's a long-suffering God, so I guess it's just going to be a miserable life for me. Uh, I get to be long-suffering. Well, no, it's not just in isolation. You've also got love, and you've got joy, and you've got peace, and you've got kindness and gentleness. So you've got all these other aspects to consider in the same context of enduring offense. So it doesn't say what volume you need to do it at. It doesn't say the name of that person in your life that is the most offensive, and it doesn't tell you exactly how to do it. But it does begin to tell you that, hey, the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. So if you have no ability to endure offense or hardship for the sake of Jesus' witness in others' life, then I would encourage you to find that fruit in God and allow him to begin to cultivate that. Because the goal is not escaping hardship. The goal is to be like Jesus in all situations, which sometimes will be very emotionally inconvenient. But nonetheless, we cannot make our goals our emotional drives. We cannot make the goal of our life our personality drive. We must make the goal of each situation, okay, God, not my will, but your will be done. So if I'm an escape artist when it comes to trials and conflict and hardship, I'm going to stop choosing my will and my way, and I'm going to lean into the way of Jesus, which looks like what? Allow him to cultivate it. Allow him to define it. Allow him to specifically invite you to patience that you would not have expressed for someone before you allowed him to start editing your behavior. You guys like this? Okay, I have some scriptures for you because it's important for us to continue to hear scripture on this thing. Romans 5, 3 through 6, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance. Suffering produces endurance. It actually creates it. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Okay, so now it's beginning to paint a picture of what this is actually supposed to evolve to be. So don't just stop at suffering produces endurance, and you're like, what a miserable life. It goes, but, okay, so then suffering produces endurance. Okay, so now what does endurance create? Endurance produces character. A, a character change is what comes in order. Suffering leads to endurance, leads to a shift in character in the person. And character produces hope. Okay, so why does a life transform produce hope? Because it is the witness of God's power in a human being. So when your character changes, after 20 years of being broke, your family looks and goes, huh? What happened? We tried forever to change this broken, damaging behavior, and it could never change. We yelled at you, we fought with you, we confronted you, we had interventions, we did everything. We were mean to you, nice to you, sad to you, loving to you, depressed about you, anxious around you. We did everything we could do. 
and nothing changed. And here comes God, walks in the room, and you change. It's meant to, a character transformation is meant to be the Batman signal of God. It's the symbol that God is present in their life doing something and they're in relationship with God. It's the fruit of the Spirit found in our lives as a testament that God is real and God is good. So we begin to go to this place of understanding that this long-suffering is actually allowing us to express a part of God that is vital to overcoming really stingy and stubborn sin patterns. This is what this skill set that God gives us is all about. For that stuff that doesn't just go away with an altar prayer, but takes six years of therapy and freedom and prayer and pushing into God's word to understanding who you are and the damage you've done, this is what that's talking about. Is the people around you and you learn to suffer long, learn to endure, learn not to give up, when there hasn't been fruitfulness yet, but you maintain and you stay and you pray a little bit longer and you pray a little bit longer and you pray a little bit longer and you believe a little bit longer and you confront a little more and you buy into it a little bit more and you love a little bit more and you serve a little bit more and you give a little bit more and you begin to understand that God is leading you into this capacity to do more than you thought you could ever do. And this is the journey with the Lord, right? This isn't a journey with someone manipulating you to get things from you. This is God-inspired stuff we're talking about. So this isn't bending the knee to another person's will. This is actually bending the knee to the Lord's will. What it looks like in your life and what it looks like in the life of everybody else around you. So we see this illustration in Psalms with David, and we're going to start in 86, Psalms 86, 12 through 17. Because he begins to illustrate this approach to long-suffering in relationship with God that is vital for our understanding of what do you do when you're long-suffering? What do you do when you're in this place of challenge? What do you do? And so in verse 12 it says, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. So right away David begins to put his focus and perspective on the magnitude of God. In the context of your long-suffering, this is critical. This is critical that you don't only have an awareness of what you're going through in suffering, but you also have an awareness of who God is in the midst of that. You need to be mindful of your suffering. Denial is not a good spiritual practice. It's, in fact, not a spiritual practice at all. So do not be in denial, but also do not be ignorant of who God is even while you're in your situation. So know who God is. Bring your perspective to that. I will glorify your name forever. You, O oh Lord God, with my whole heart, I will give thanks to you. So enter into this place with the perspective of God, because in 13 it says, for, for great is your steadfast love towards me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Okay, so David's like, hey, I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to recognize who you are in my life, and also I'm going to talk about what you've done. You've loved me and you've delivered me. These are real witnesses. These are things that I can never have anyone take away from me because I experienced them with God. I've experienced his love. I've experienced his deliverance. These are things that I get to celebrate even while I'm in the midst of long suffering. So when you are suffering and you are in the midst of it, do not forget the nature of God and what he has done to you. Now, it's not the only part of the story, right? 
He's not done doing a work in your life. So our journey with God's not just supposed to be about, hey, remember what he did to me 10 years ago? That was pretty cool. Get to hold on to that for the rest of my life and just that. No, it's glory to glory. It's yesterday, today, and forever. So it's, it's not just, God, you saved me 20 years ago, and I'm so grateful for that. It's, God, you saved me 20 years ago. I'm grateful for that. You healed me 10 years ago of that. And then today, what you're doing in me today, I could tell you. I could tell you all about it. I can give you a, like a 25-page, you know, doctorate-level thesis of what God is doing in my life right now. So it's not just what he's done. It's also what he's doing, which gets us to the current for David here, which says, oh, God, insolent men. How many of you guys use that word insolent? Hey, vocabulary word of the day. It means showing a rude or arrogant lack of respect. Oh, God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. All right, so David just described his current situation, and it's not a great situation. There's a threat to his life. There's a threat to his well-being. There's a threat there. And David is expressing his heartfelt place with the Lord. He's doing it in the context of understanding who God is and what God's done to his life. But nevertheless, he's not in denial about his situation. He's aware of it. He sees it. He sees that he's in a tribulation moment. He sees he's in a suffering moment, and he recognizes it, and he's telling God about it. This is David's prayer. And maybe this models for us what it looks like to talk to God. It's like, hey, God, I really love you. You're really amazing. Also, there's a bunch of knuckleheads around me. And they want to hurt me. And they want to destroy me. It is not, uh, it is not uh, inappropriate for you to recognize the ill intent of people around you. It doesn't violate love. It doesn't violate your relationship with God or them. To discern the intent of people around you is really just a basic spiritual practice. It's like, I can love you and know you want to kill me. I can love you and know you want to rob from me, so I won't trust you, but I can love you. So it's not, uh, it's not, not spiritual for us to recognize ill will uh, of people around us. It's actually completely appropriate and biblical for us to discern one another and David is expressing this understanding he has of people around him. They're insolent men. They are ruthless. Okay, so he's identified his situation. And for us, it's important that we know who God is, know what he's done in our life, but also we are not in denial about where we're at. Because the next points and the next lines are really important. But you, O oh Lord, are God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What an interesting reflection after talking about being threatened by people around him. He speaks about the mercy and the grace of God first. That's so interesting, right? Because on one hand, you might think he would say, God, be a just God and just wipe out these guys. But his reflection led him to this place of understanding that God is merciful. What perhaps was going on in his mind that led him to go there? Perhaps it was that God has shown him mercy in times that he needed mercy. Perhaps it's that I'm going to practice and exercise long-suffering because I've needed the same from others in my life. Perhaps it's that I'm going to practice patience and endurance, or I'm going to talk about God who's patient and enduring and merciful because he has mercy for them the same way he has for me. So when we're exercising, when we're seeing these fruits of long-suffering in our life, it comes from an understanding that 
not only is God patient with me, but he's patient with everybody else as well. So when he exercises this place of endurance and this place of long-suffering with me, I'm mindful in my communication with him that he's doing it with the people in my life that I very well may not want him to do it with. God's mercy and God's grace, while very convenient for me, could be very inconvenient when he applies it to my enemies. Very inconvenient. You're like, hey, I feel like we're not on the same page, God. I don't know if you know this, but I need you to wipe them out. Maybe being honest about this is important between you and God. Because God wants to do a work in your heart and in your life when it comes to the people that are creating hardship. When it comes to the environment that is a trial or a tribulation. Or when it comes to season after season of suffering in a workplace or in a relationship or in a marriage or in a family. Like when you really get real about this thing, long-suffering actually becomes a really interesting fruit of the spirit when it comes to family, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to workplace. When it comes to that thing that you're experiencing every single day, you ever liked somebody until you started living with them? I had a roommate, like, and we were good buds, and then we lived together, and we were like, maybe it's best that we don't, like, live together, you know what I mean? Jess, I went from liking her and loving her a lot to liking and loving her even more. You know, she may not say the same thing about me and some of my uh, living habits. I'm not so sure you'd have to ask her or don't ask her. That's probably a good idea. But sometimes when you spend more time with somebody and you start getting a little bit more in their life and them in your life, you start to realize that it's not as easy in intimacy. Novelty and new people and new things, oh, man, it's just, like, really exciting. It's like sightseeing. It's like vacation. You're like, oh, this is awesome, man. But then you get an intimate relationship with people, and all of a sudden, different faculties of God you have to call upon and ask the Lord for help in because it's not the same faculties you utilize in pioneering or novelty or adventure. That the faculties of God and the fruits of the Spirit found in intimate relationship are forgiveness, deep, powerful forgiveness. They're long-suffering and patience. They're forbearance. And we see what David says in this place of recognition that he's suffering and he's threatened. He says, but you, O Lord, are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So here's what he asked God for. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. And save the son of your maidservant. So he asks God for grace, strength, and salvation. I told you, long-suffering is not just about surviving until the end. Long-suffering is almost as much about your transformation as it is the potential witness you give to others about Jesus. Because when you're enduring long, it produces character. And that production of character comes when you pray to God and say, God, I need your salvation. Like, I need your grace and I need your strength because I'm losing hope. I'm losing heart. So right when you're at that place of suffering too long and you're like, hey, I don't know how much longer I could take this, I encourage you to pray to God for grace and for strength. Ask him for it. Be needy even. Be sort of codependent on God. Like, this is appropriate. It's very much needed. God is needed for us to behave like him. 
So when people come to me, and this is actually more frequent than I wish it was, but people come and tell me, they'll be like, hey, here's my problem in relationship with God, is I only talk to him when I need things. And then they'll usually tell me, the development of that story is that they feel guilty about that, so they stop talking to him even when they need things. And I'm like, what a bad idea. Like, where does it say in the Bible that God's like, no, you know what, all you do is ask me for things, so stop talking to me, please. It's something that the enemy slips into their mind and starts to say to them, all you do is you just ask, ask, ask God for things. You're just so needy, aren't you? You're so greedy when it comes to God. You don't give him anything. Listen, at this point, God is completely comfortable loving us while we're still sinners. He's comfortable giving his life to us while we are in a place of unrepentance. So what a lie from the enemy to say, oh, you can't ask God for things. What have you done for him lately? That's insane. That's a lie of the enemy. It's straight-up deception. If my kids, the only time they talked to me was when they were asking me for things, I would want them to keep asking me for things. It doesn't mean I'm going to give it. And it doesn't mean I don't want more of a relationship. But why would I want the only version of communication we have to be cut off? It's not in the Father's heart to be so disconnected from us just because all we know how to do is ask him for stuff. So yes, of course, I would encourage you to develop your relationship with God beyond just requests. But if that's all you got, that's all you got. At least maintain that connection. At least learn that he's a loving God. And ask him for things like grace and strength so you can grow. Maybe you just begin to edit what you're asking for. So rather than asking him to save your cat, ask him for grace. Ask him for strength. Ask him for faculties that you see in the Bible. Ask him for fruits of the spirit. Like, God, I, just, I don't have it, God, so I pray that you would give it to me. I don't have strength, so God, I need your strength. I need your salvation. I need your grace, God. Verse 17 says, show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. What's interesting here is even David's motivation to be comforted and to be favored is so that people can see that God did it. I told you before, long-suffering is more than just making it through and surviving. It's about what the witness of your life is through that process. God, while I'm long-suffering, I need you to save me. I need you to comfort me. I need you to free me. I need you to, but also, like, look, I want you to do it so others can see how good you are. So maybe long-suffering is one of the great witness tools of our life. Maybe it's the way people that have incredibly hard hearts and incredibly wounded lives can see the goodness of God because it endured in relationship with them for years or months or weeks or hours. Whatever it may be, I believe that this faculty of God, that this characteristic of God is very much supposed to be championed by all believers. But in association, men and fathers are supposed to carry this with great courage. You know, this invitation to toughness, to endurance, is not one of insensitivity or lacking compassion or lacking love. But in fact, in the heart of God, long-suffering does not violate love, but comes from love. Long-suffering does not violate healing and compassion. 
In fact, it comes from the same source. So can we express a version of humanity that has strength but also has kindness and grace? Can we express a version of humanity that has long-suffering but also has joy, also has love, has kindness and gentleness? God's a really good father, and he invites us to be like him on our journey. He begins to produce these things in our life. The question is, are we willing to embrace his version, not our version, his version? His will, not our will. There's things that God definitely resists, and there's things that God definitely blesses. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So on this walk with Jesus, we may be expressing toughness in a way that we don't actually realize is not at all like Christ. We may be expressing strength that is not at all rooted in love. We may be expressing power that isn't at all reflective of the nature of God. Because God's all-powerful, but he's also all-loving. And those two things in interaction together create beautiful, wise, and effective approaches with humanity. Leads him to suffer along with us. And that's powerful, extremely powerful. And this illustration of love that is long-suffering really does create a a powerful image of love. One that has a spine that isn't just mushy-wushy and swishy-swashy. But love, when you see it expressed like this, is actually incredibly strong and enduring and capable. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.